Hey there, and welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I am excited that you have chosen to spend time with us today. The goal of this podcast is to show that God's heart for each of us is to come back home to Him in order for us to experience a restoration of peace, joy, and growth in our lives. We do this by digging deep into God's Word in order to find timeless truths that we can apply in our lives today. So let's get out our Bibles and take another step down this path of restoration living together. When I was in middle school, something interesting began to happen in my life. You see, my brother and I were really big into country music, especially, you know, during the 90s as a young teenager, you know, the 90s music of the time, it was full of flashy Western style shirts and cowboy hats and boots. And the more we listened to the music and the more we watched the music videos, right? That was the joy of being a teenager in the 90s as you had music television was becoming a thing with different stations of right, different brands of different you know, music video channels you could watch. And as we looked at the fashion and the way the musicians and the stars that we focused on, man, we began to dress like them. We wanted to wear clothes like them, the, the Western print, you know, uh, button-up shirts and cowboy hats and jeans and boots. And that was my middle school years. But in high school, my friends began to listen to rock and roll and heavy metal and alternative and as I began to watch those music videos my desire to change how I dressed grew and I moved from you know jeans and cowboy boots to wide leg jeans and loafer style you know tennis shoes and you know away from western print button-up shirts to t-shirts with crazy weird sayings on it I went from having a short haircut to wanting to grow my hair out long and paint my nails black I mean that, that was the why did I change the way I dressed because I wanted to become like the people I admired I looked at these music videos and I celebrated these musicians and I looked up to them and my friends did the same thing. And as we focused on those things, our desire to be like them grew. You see, that's the law of worship at work. And you might not think of that as worship. I certainly didn't think that I was worshiping those musicians and idolizing those people. But that was exactly what was happening. And as a Christian, I, I believe, sure, I was worshiping God, but I also was worshiping those people and those ideas because that's what I fixed my focus on. You see, as we've been going through the design laws of God, and, and, and I always want to make sure I give credit to Dr. Tim Jennings, who you know, wrote a lot on this with his ministry, Come and Reason Ministries, and the numerous books that he's written. Um, my particular favorite is The God-Shaped Brain, but he's got tons of others like Could It Be This Simple? And he focuses on the 17 design laws of God, and we've looked at two so far in this series. We've started by looking at the law of love. And the law of love is the principle that God has built all of life to operate on, that everything that lives also gives. If something stops giving, 
it stops living. Think about, you know, a light switch. When I flip the light switch off, I break the circuit, the circle, the cycle of electricity is broken. And so it no longer gives energy to the light bulb to light the room. And so that's the law of love at work. The same thing's true in relationships. When I stop giving and I start being selfish, then those relationships begin to decay and die. That's the law of love. Everything that lives, gives. The second one we looked at last time was the law of liberty. And the law of liberty says that we were created to live in freedom, that God designs everything to have agency, to have free will. And when you remove liberty, rebellion or self-destruction takes place. That if you take away somebody's freedom, they are either going to rebel against it or they will destroy themselves or the self you know uh, um you know ends up not necessarily physically hurting themselves but their identity goes away and you become a shadow person and so we talked about that but today we're going to look at the third one which follows both of those we have the law of love the law of liberty and now the law of worship the law of worship says that we become like the things we admire worship and spend times watching and so Another way that Dr. Jennings puts it is by beholding, we become changed. By beholding, we become changed. And this is the you know, law of, of so many things that we understand in life that as we look at fashion, why do people change their fashions? Because somebody somewhere decided this was going to be, I'm going to be you know, a rebel, I'm going to do things different. I'm going to stand out. Well, then, man, when they stand out, people begin to look at them and say, I admire that person. I want to dress like them. I want to wear my hair like them. And there's big money in that. I mean, think about how much money movie stars get paid for the outfits they wear on the red carpet. One of the questions that's always asked when they interview people on a red carpet, whether it's an awards night or a movie premiere, the question they ask them is, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? What designer? Are you wearing their clothes? Because we know that if they were to say, you know, the name of the designer, that people are going to rush out to get that fashion because they admire that movie star and want to copy them to assimilate their style. And and we all do to a certain extent, we want to fit in. That's not what I'm talking about, right? We, we do want to fit in with the people we hang out with. But what you focus on in life grows. When you admire something, when you work, when you focus your attention on it, you become like that thing. Whether it's the music we listen to, the the, the movies we watch, the you know the uh, things that we devote our time to. There's a reason why the famous television series is called American Idol, because we idolize those people. We want to set them up as somebody we look to and say, you are the pinnacle of music and performance and we want to watch you. Well, the root of worship is dedicating your time, talent, and attention to something. That, that is the very definition of worship. And so while we normally think of worship in the religious setting, where we go to a temple or a synagogue or a, a church building, a cathedral, and we bow down and we proclaim the, you know, the goodness of a divinity and we dedicate our life to that, and that is an aspect of worship. But the idea of the word worship comes from two words, worth-ship. You're proving something worthy 
by the way you focus on it. And you may invest your time, but you also may invest your money or your energy into it. And and there's usually, I mean, that, that, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. All of these design laws are good when they're put in the right place. And you see that God created us to do that. God created us to worship. We Every human being is created to worship. And so as we look at the beginning, when we go back to God's original design for the world before sin crept into our lives and changed everything and separated us from God, Adam and Eve, we know from our past sessions looking at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we know that God designed Adam and Eve's relationship to get all of their information of truth from God. God is the definer of reality, and God decides what is true. And so Adam and Eve, as they met with God, God would tell them the truth about their identity, the truth about how the world works, the truth about right and wrong. But when Adam and Eve believed the deception of Satan and, and Lucifer you know, said, God didn't really say that. You won't surely die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. They sowed seeds of distrust and they began to focus on themselves and the lie rather than on God and the truth. You see, if you tell yourself a lie long enough, you'll actually believe that lie. That's the danger of our focus. And when we fix our focus, we want to become like those things. You know, what's the you know, the, the, the old joke is a, a crossfitter, an evangelist, and a vegan sit down to lunch and who tells them about their beliefs first, right? And, and as a longtime CrossFitter, that is a true statement. You can meet CrossFit people and within a few minutes, you know, you can tell by the way they walk, maybe the shape of their bodies, just because, you know, CrossFitters tend to have a certain body shape, the same way gymnasts have a body shape, the same way that, um, you know, different other athletes, swimmers, right, tend to have a certain body shape based off the way they exercise. And when you meet a CrossFitter, you start talking about your different workout times, your PRs, your competitions, your goals, those kind of things. Why? Because what you focus on in your life grows, and that can be positive or negative. If I focus on the negative things in life and I give my attention to my worship to those things, I'm going to want to be like those things. And you may say, James, that's that's crazy, but think about this. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. When I come home at the end of the day, I like to veg out on the couch for a little bit. My brain is tired, my body is tired, and there's just something relaxing about sitting on the couch and letting your brain not have to work when you watch a TV show. And there's a certain TV series that I've been watching, and the idea, the focus of the TV series is that people who are criminals, they are, you know, you know, mercenaries and computer hackers and stuff, that they begin to take their tools they did for bad and they do bad things for good and the idea is that yes they're breaking the law and yes they're going around you know the the rules and laws of a government and you know police officers things like that but they're doing it to help people that society has not been able to help and, and it's a very entertaining show but one of the things I've noticed as I've watched those seasons is I begin to excuse the bad things they are doing because of the idea of the end justifying the means. That who cares if I beat up and hospitalize you know, five or ten people, but they're the bad guys. And so we have to use violence to hurt them. That who cares if I break laws of, you know, 
ethical hacking and how computer systems are supposed to work. After all, I'm taking the money from the bad guy and giving it to the victims. And I begin to, the more I watch those shows, the more I begin to excuse and even approve and then eventually celebrate them breaking the law and doing illegal things. And I catch myself doing that. You see, that's the law of worship. By beholding, we become changed. God's original design for people were for people to, in the, and when we were living in perfection, to come to Him and worship Him and look to God for truth and our example so that we would want to be like Him in His character and the way God lives. You see, that's the, the, the twisting and the counterfeit of being like God that Satan in the garden Lucifer told them that if you eat this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God. Well, so here's the thing. They were already like God in their character, but they were twisting it, and, and Lucifer wanted them to say, you can become like God in your position, in your authority, in your power, because you'll know what God knows. And it this sowed the seed of distrust in that saying, God, you ultimately don't have my best in mind, that you are not trustworthy, that you are abusing your power. And so I need to do things my way instead because you're not trustworthy. You see, that's the lie that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whatever name you want to give him, wants us to believe that Jesus said the thief, talking about Satan, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a liar and does not want us to model our lives after God because if we do that, we will find meaning, we will find purpose, we will find peace. But if we don't do that, then he knows he can distract us. And why does Satan want that? Because he can't have God's position. And so he wants to take everyone else with him. That's how selfishness works. You see, if you're selfish, you, you know, that's what happens when you become jealous in a bad way. You see, when I'm jealous, I have two options. I can get better or I can get bitter. Let's say that I look at you and let's say that you have a talent that I admire. Maybe you're a good athlete. Maybe you're very smart at math. Maybe you speak multiple languages. Maybe you're good with computers. Whatever it is, I can look at you and I admire that. And because I don't have that, guess what? I become jealous. And I can either get better. I can say, hey, how did, how did you learn that second language? How did you get so good at computers or technology? How did you become so smart at math or such a good writer? And I can get better by becoming better myself. Or I can get bitter. And when I get bitter, and jealousy turns to bitterness in my heart, I actually want bad things to happen to you so that you will be knocked down a peg and come down to my level. You see, we want bad things to happen to people when we become bitter against them, and jealousy changes our heart. Rather than focusing on God, when we focus on God, we become like Him in His character. You see, this is one of the big misunderstandings of the Scripture. You see, I grew up, in a church community that, for whether they meant to or not, taught me that God is this bully in the sky who forces people to worship him. And if you don't do things God's way, you get punished. You get zapped by the God on the throne with his zapper who wants to punish you every time you step out of line. You see, God wants us to worship him, but not because he is selfish. You know, God doesn't need anything. That's a really hard thing to wrap our mind around because we as human beings, we need things to survive. We need oxygen. We need food. We need all of these relationships. We, God created us to need things. But God doesn't need anything. 
He doesn't need our food. He doesn't, when we offer sacrifices, the, the idea is not because God wants our animals or our food or our money. When we tithe to the church, you know, God doesn't, God paves his street with gold. God is not a, a, a resource. He is the source. God speaks and forms galaxies. So if he can do all of that, why does he want our worship? Because he's selfish? No, no. It, we, God wants us to worship him so that we will become like him in our character. Because when we live in our selfishness, we call that sin. Sin causes death. The wages of sin is death. And in God's economy, death is not physical death. That's part of it. But the death God talks about that God really doesn't want to happen is that we would live. The death God is separation from him. When we live, that's connection to him. Death is separation from him. That's why the book of Revelation calls the second death eternal separation from God. That, and if you read the book of Revelation, it uses the symbolic imagery of a lake of fire, the abyss that people who choose not to have a relationship with God go to for eternity. It's called the second death. Why? Because it is eternal separation from God. Right now, we are living in death until God gives us life. Think about John 3.16. God loved the world so much, he gave his one and only, his unique son, so that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. You see, if we take that on surface value, we think, oh, and I give my life to Jesus, I'll live forever physically. Everybody who's put trust in Jesus has died because Jesus hasn't returned back yet. But it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death because in God's economy, death is separation. So God wants us to focus on him so that we can become connected to him because that's where real life is found. So when we look at passages like Exodus 34, when they're going into, the Israelites are going into the promised land and God gives them the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses. He tells him, well, when we look at this, he says that, you know, I'm going to drive all of these things away. And he says this in verse 12, he says, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. He's saying, destroy their system of worship. And he says this in verse 14, you must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose who's, who's very name is jealous, I'm saying God's name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. He wants us to wor worship him and not worship other gods. Why? Because what we worship, we become like. By beholding, we become changed. If you skip over to Deuteronomy, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 14, we hear a repeat of this, where he says, you must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. Why does he not want you to, to worship other gods? Because he doesn't want you to become like them. Think about the pagan gods. What are they like? Their character is shifting and changing. They must be sacrificed to, to be appeased. You see, most of us think when we worship Yahweh, the one true God, that we're worshiping him like the pagan gods, that we have to make God happy with us. That God, I offer you a sacrifice to make you love me and to make you give me what I want. But that's, that's how pagan gods are. I mean, think about the worship of Baal. That they would go to Baal and say, Baal, we want to have a child and you're the fertility god. And so we offer a sacrifice to make you happy so you'll give us a child so you'll bless my wife with fertility 
or we want to have good crops. God, you know, Baal, you know, you are the God of the storms, the God of the harvest, the God of fertility. So we offer you a sacrifice and we worship you so that you will give us those things. But when we worship these pagan gods like Baal or Ashereth and Chemosh or any of the other pagan gods, we become like them in character. We become shifting and changing and, and that we have no stability in our lives. But that's the opposite of the one true God of Yahweh, that, that God doesn't ever change. The book of Hebrews tells us that yesterday, today, and forever, God is the same. And that's an echo of numerous passages throughout what we call the Old Testament. That God doesn't change. He doesn't cast a shifting shadow, the Psalms say. And so when we worship God, we become like him in our character. Now, another corruption of worship that other groups have, even within the Christian tradition, is that if we worship God, we become like God and that we become God. We don't become God because God doesn't, there is no other God. I can't be like God that way. We become like God in our character. Some corrupted versions of Christianity actually teach that if you go and do certain rituals and certain locations that you can eventually experience this fancy term apotheosis, you will become a god. And they promise that if you do all these things, you can have children in eternity, divine children with your your wife that you have become pledged to for eternity. Jesus said there's not going to be marriage in heaven because our relationships with other people in the new kingdom will be closer than even a husband and a wife. How amazing is that? And so God wants us to worship him, not so we can become like him in our position and our authority, because we can become like him in our character. Think about what we see in in 1 Chronicles. We see King David sing a song of praise. And he says this in, in verse 10 of 1 Chronicles chapter 16. He says, you know, to exult in his holy name, rejoice you who worship the Lord. Search the Lord for his strength, continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given you, children of his servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, his holy one. Look at verse 14. He is the Lord, our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. Remember his covenant forever. And he, and he talks about all this worship. Why? Why do we worship only God? Verse 25, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. And over and over again, he says to worship God, say that the Lord reigns. Worship only God. Why? Does God, is God selfish? Does God say we have to praise him because God wants us to worship him because he he gets, you know, so excited he gets his joy from us worshiping him? No, God's not selfish. God doesn't need us. He wants us to worship him so we will become like him. This is why Jesus said when Satan tempted him in verse 8 of Luke chapter 4, says the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Lucifer wanted God, Jesus to worship him so that Jesus would become like him <laughs> and corrupt his character. But Jesus said, no, 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 you only worship God. And Jesus, even though Jesus is God, he modeled for us what worship looked like so we would have God's character. Why? Because the law of worship says, by beholding, we become changed. 
what you focus on you want to be like and that can be for good or bad let me show you one more passage and i think this is beautiful in revelation chapter 7 if you've been following our study to the book of revelation you've heard this before but look at what it says that that John is told in chapter 7 of the, of the book of Revelation, he's told that 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will come into the kingdom. They'll be sealed by God. That's what he's told. But what does he actually see? see remember, an apocalypse uses symbolic imagery of fan fantastical symbols to represent earthly realities. What's the earthly reality? What he talks about in verse 9 of chapter 7, he says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels, not some of the angels, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped God. Why do we worship God? Because by beholding Him, we become changed. So as we look at this, I know I've kind of used multiple scriptures to drive this point home. But as God has designed the universe, the design laws of God, we've understood the law of love and the law of liberty, but now we want to understand the law of worship. And we need to understand that God doesn't want us to worship him because he's selfish and commands his, his creation to worship him. God wants us to worship him so we would be like him in our character. When we focus on him and we see his love, it empowers us to love other people. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to love as God loves. What are the, the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's worship. Worship Him by focusing your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strengths all on Him. And then what happens? The second commandment becomes possible, that I can love my neighbor like I love myself. You see, I can't love my neighbor like I love myself if I'm not worshiping God. And so... As we look at this, I want to ask you, what are you fixing your focus on? What are you worshiping? I would, I'd encourage you. I'd challenge you. Look at your bank account and what you're spending your money on. Schedule out your day and, and look at how you're, you're spending your time. And then begin to say, what am I even thinking on? What's the focus of my mind? Am I marinating on good things, the things of God? Or am I marinating on selfish things, my next toy, my next experience? Or am I even marinating and focusing my mind on things I'm jealous of? You see, when I focus on selfish things, it corrupts my character. It makes me bitter. It makes me want to harm other people and to celebrate myself. But that breaks the law of love and the law of liberty, and it actually brings death and rebellion. But when I've balance the law of love and the law of liberty with this third law, the, th the law of worship, then I actually am changed. I want to close by showing you one more passage in Job chapter 42. Job was angry. He felt that he had not done anything to deserve what God was allowing to happen in his life. And he has all these questions and he demands, he says, if I can only have an audience with God, I would ask all my questions and get all my answers. But you know, Job got none of his questions answered. God actually asked him questions. 
But if you go to Job chapter 42, at the very end of Job's experience, he actually encounters the presence of God. And he says this, verse 5 of chapter 42, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Now, if you read this, Job is righteous. Not that Job is perfect, but Job didn't do anything wrong to deserve the things that he went through. And Job wasn't even sinning by being angry at God. It's not a sin to be angry at God. It, it, it keeps us from growing and developing and maturing spiritually. But Job repents. What does he have to repent of if he didn't do anything wrong in this situation? To repent means to change the way you think and act. You see, Job needed to change the way he thought about God. No longer seeing God as a bully, but he encountered the presence of God and he saw his majesty. And so he had to change the way he thought about God because he focused on God and so he became changed. So what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping fashion or musicians or, or other human beings? Are you modeling your life after them and the way they're living or are you modeling your life after Jesus. Now, I get it. We have to fit in. There's nothing wrong with having nice fashion. There's nothing wrong with having new toys. None of those things are wrong in themselves. It's when they corrupt our character and take our focus off of God. But now that we know that worship is more than just bowing in prayer in a, in a church building on a Sunday morning, worship is what we focus our attention on. Worship is what we devote our effort and energies to. We become like what we admire, worship, and spend time watching and assimilating. By beholding, we become changed. My encouragement for you and I is that we would fix our focus on God. And what would happen, we would begin to be like Him in our character. And we would begin to love people as Jesus loves. Remember how God taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven, give us today the bread we need, right? Our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. We can only do those things by first focusing our attention on God. That's why the beginning of the prayer starts out our Father in heaven. What we focus on, we become like. By beholding, we become changed. That's the law of worship. I pray we would put these laws into effect in our lives and they would allow us and empower us to grow and develop and become the people God wants us to be. So until next time, be blessed. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.